In the Minor Prophets, which are the little books at the end of the Old Testament, the first time you read through those, it can be quite intimidating because they're using names you've never heard of, and they're describing places that don't even exist anymore. And there's this, what has this got to do with me? Feeling. And as you uh, walk through that, um, if you don't have access to many Bible study books, it, it can be rather daunting. At minimum, I would suggest going to Wikipedia, and it, it'll give you reasonable information, put it that way. Uh, you can dig deeper later, and, and quite honestly, when you, when you start reading you know, different historical narratives, uh, the archaeologists argue with each other over how many acres and how many rooms and how, you know, what year. And it, it may vary 10, 15 years or, you know, but it's, it's, if you catch the idea of the thing, it's a whole lot more valuable, put it that way, to me. Uh, <laughs> that's my uh, prejudice on the issue, and I don't give a rip about a few years here and there, quite honestly. But I like to catch the major principles. And so this week I was looking at the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum, who both deal with the city of Nineveh. And uh, I, I want to kind of tie in some thoughts connected to those two. And Zephaniah has a little bit on Nineveh, so I just toss that into. But uh, that said, the city of Nineveh uh, is was located across the Tigris River from the current city of Mosul, so in Iraq. And uh, for that day, it had roughly 75 years of being about the most prominent city in the world as far as size and, and power and all of that. It lay on some trade routes that connected the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean, and also being on this river, um, extremely valuable location. Um, you know how even in our country, in years past, rivers played a much more major role. I mean, just think of the Mississippi, how, you know, with New Orleans, Memphis, St. Louis, moving on up. Uh, major cities of our country developed around that river, Mississippi. And in ancient times, it was even more valuable. Well, one of the rulers of Nineveh built amazing walls, and they built huge palaces. And, and so when, when we're talking walls at a time when no cannons existed, no missiles, so once those walls were in place, they were virtually impregnable. So this guy dug down 40 feet to the water table and started his base there. And so nobody could dig under it. Then he goes up 100 feet in the air. So nobody's going to get over it. 50 feet wide were the walls. So, I, I mean, that's impressive even for this day, Right? Massive things. And then, uh, to top it off, there's a palace inside that they say was, uh, again, arguing over rooms. 
630 by 600 feet, roughly. And uh, it's 70 to 80 big rooms. Oh, uh, let's, let's put this in perspective. A 10-acre parcel would be, square parcel would be 660 by 660, right? So you're talking a palace of nearly 10 acres? That's a significant building, okay? Even the walls, uh, you know, of, of what we were talking about would have been a um, little bit wider than this room. And the height would have been taller than Pine Ridge. You figure roughly 10 foot of floor. Pine Ridge is, what, eight? So <laughs> that's a big build, you know, that impressive for its day. One of the libraries that they uncovered, um, Asher Banapal, had 22,000 clay tablets that they found. So, you know, for its season, this is a big place, and somewhere in a population of 100 to 150,000. So bigger than our community, our communities, our county. It, it, good size. So when that particular nation state, because they, it was, they were built around their cities and, and such, starts bothering Israel, they're in the same region, it's a, a nervous time, right? So for Israel, there's this awareness that this place is growing huge and they're going to gobble us up if, we're, if things go the way they look. So that, that's the context, and, and they did have conflicts. You know, if, if you read through the kings, you'll see that uh, Sennacherib marched up on King Hezekiah, and there were things going on during this whole span of time. And, and this, this conflict went on for over 100 years. So all of that said, then you have these books where prophets are writing specifically about the city of Nineveh, and they're making some declarations. Now, the first one that I want to note is Jonah. You know, he's, he's called to go speak against Nineveh and say, God's found about, out about your wickedness, and it's not good. Now, Jonah had, in one point, he can play, be locked into history because he had prophesied the return of some property during a particular king, and so they know when that king lived, and so they, they lock him in at a, a place and time. And, and so in that, that season, uh, before the Great Walls, so to speak, but still when Nineveh was a, a major city, uh, Jonah is called to go to that city and preach against it. And he runs the other direction because he doesn't want them, he doesn't want them to churn. He doesn't want any good to happen. He would rather see their destruction. That's just what you want in an evangelist, right? <laughs> I'd just as soon you die. Um, quite honestly, it'd probably be, be like us going back to the same region today and preaching. You know, <laughs> there's a certain anxiety about that region of the world, right? And so that's what 
they'd have been feeling, and that's what Jonah would have been encountering. He goes and tells them, you know, (laughs) getting ahead of myself. God, you, you know the story. He gets swallowed by a great fish, repents, gets spit out on land, and then goes. Now, here's the kicker. Um, Nineveh, in the ancient languages, Nine, or Nini, I, I'm a Nini regarding languages. <laughs> it meant fish. And so it could have been attached to a fish goddess of that region. It could have been attached to the fishing right there. There are, there are a number of projections. But part and parcel with the name is the term fish. And so God set him up. You know, he's going back. He most likely was bleached out because of the stomach acids of the fish. But he's going in. He's got this amazing story. They're going to listen been ordained. And and he goes and tells them, 40 days and you're done. And they repent. And they fast and they pray. And God spares them. And, And Jonah's distraught. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I knew you were going to do this. I knew you'd do this. And, you know, it, it comes out, he says, um, you're, you're slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And uh, God answers him back, and he says, shouldn't I have concern? There's more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left spiritually. They don't know what's going on. They need to know. And so, at minimum, out of the book of Jonah, we need to pull this principle that God's first desire is to show compassion and mercy. He does judge, but his desire is to show mercy when the opportunity is there. Let's move on to one of the other books, Zephaniah. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Why is that important? It locks him into time again. So it gives us that, that rough time frame of 641 B.C. through 650. So before Nineveh's fall. Okay, that's what we need to know. And he makes this declaration in chapter 2. He says, He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. So he's making this declaration. The greatest city on earth right now is going to be completely desolate. You know what? One of the amazing things going on right now. Now, you can go find pictures of Nineveh, and basically all you're seeing is dry desert and rubble. But one of the conflicts going on right now when ISIS captured Mosul, 
They said, you come after us and we're destroying the ancient works. We're, you know, the things that have been excavated and brought back out, we're going to trash all that again. And so even now it goes on, this desolation, it says this place is going to stay a ruins. And so they, you know, they've dug out some amazing things. But even right now, today, the ongoing effects of this prophecy are being lived out. Let's go to the book of Nahum. This prophecy would have been just a, a few years before it's, or closer to its fall. But there's a declaration made in Nahum chapter 1, an overwhelming flood he will, with an overwhelming flood he will make an end of Nineveh. In the second chapter, the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. Now, Nineveh, built by the Tigris, also had built aqueducts from other rivers down to it, and they had 15 gates and 18 canals. And during a flood season, it started to wipe out part of the wall, and that allowed the enemies in. And so... Pre it happening, this prophet is making a declaration, the river is going to cause trouble. And you're kind of amazed and go, wow, that's pretty impressive. It goes on, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. He says, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. When the enemies came in and truly wiped out the place, they just got rid of everyone. And in the excavations, they found piles of corpses. So again, the type of destruction that was coming was going to be complete. Chapter 3, you've increased the number of your merchants till they're more numerous than the stars of the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts, your officials like swarms. Settle on the wall, but when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. He says, you've had all these merchants, you know, so all this wealth has been accumulating. You've had all this governmental structure with your officials. You've had all these soldiers around and guards to no avail. It's going to be done. Nothing, 319, nothing can heal your wound. It is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall, who would not fell with your endless cruelty. Now, I want to take a bit of a turn here because we, we can glory in the fulfillment of these prophecies and we can see God is involved in history and has complete authority over all civilization. But... There are other things connected to this that, that draw my attention. One is, why did Jonah have to go preach about repentance and see a turning, and the other guys got to do what Jonah wanted to do? You know, it's the same place, different time frame, but, you know, why did... Why did one have one message and one an entirely different message at the end of the day? You know, and in a sense, who was right? You know, Jonah makes the prophecy, it's going to happen, then it doesn't. 
And yet in the New Testament, the sign of Jonah is spoken of, and so there's a credibility given. And also in the, the, the site with Nineveh, right even now, there's called a mound of Jonah. So his name is inextricably linked to this city. But uh, he didn't get to, to see things through the way that his heart's desire was, but he had a different message. But you go to Zephaniah and Nahum, and they're going, this thing is going to be wiped out completely, and it'll never be rebuilt. And it happened. So I, I look at that, and, and at times, you know, in our own lives, there's this wrestling of, well, how come this message happened at this time and something else happened in my life that seems completely different. Different time frame. Same life. Or sometimes there's a warning that comes out and says, if you don't straighten up your act, trouble's coming. While I'm on that, there is a, a thing within <laughs> Christian groups. You know, it's like, if you're going to speak over someone, don't don't say anything that could be construed as negative. Well, that's nice for pop psychology, but that doesn't work in Scripture. It's better to have the truth. And so, you know, now, you should be very careful about anything you bring to someone, right? But there are times when you are called to challenge and say, if you don't straighten up, God's going to deal with you. Or there are times to say, trouble's coming. At least that's what they are doing in the Scripture. As long as it's a word from God, we'd still rather hear it, right? Now, thankfully, regularly, we get to bring words of encouragement and our God's first choice is compassion, but it is not the only message. So that said, um, we, we look at the body of this and we go, if a city's peace was not found by its wealth, its notoriety, its security, how would my personal peace possibly be found the same way? What they needed to realize was that they needed to be at peace with God and all other peace would flow out of that. And it's the same with our personal lives. You won't find it just in establishing yourself but it's establishment with connection to God as to how he sees us and where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do and embracing what he brings into our lives and saying, I know you have good plans here and intent. What do you desire? Message and timing are God's choice. And that applies to us personally and that applies to the messages that we bring as well. God does rule over all things. I'd like to look at one other passage because to me there's a link. And 
been chewing on it this week in regard to that, but in James chapter 1, there's a declaration made, if you lack wisdom, call and ask. But there's a, a warning that comes out. It says, you know, do this in faith, but don't be double-minded. And one of the things that I've run into that's been challenging for me personally is I like to try to put all the things together and then make a decision, but I don't always get to do that. And so there comes this point where I regularly will have to take a step of faith. And I don't like that any more than anyone else. There's a a nervousness that says, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out. But I believe the encouragement of this passage is, you ask, you do your best to listen and put things together, but you still then need to make a step. And you need to trust him that he's going to lead you into the right path. Now, if you take that first step and you say, oh, what have I done? And you cancel it and head off in the other direction. And then you're going, oh, no, but I I really believe I was. What happens? You bring enough muddiness or confusion to the situation that you have no clue what's supposed to happen next. And I truly believe that what we are encouraged through this passage of James is that there's this need to, at some point, make this declaration to the Lord, doing our best to listen, to respond to what he says, and walk in a confidence that says, he is going to lead me. It's challenging to, to, to step into that, but how do you get through life unless you trust him in some of those things? And so I, I, I look at this and I'm going, in that city, you know, the, one prophet is, is declaring destruction, but then it comes out great. Another is prophesying, no, this thing is toast. And it all depended on the timing of it. And so even in our own lives, there, this timing in the Lord is crucial. And understanding that, of course, his desire is compassion but there are times when he has to get our attention through discipline. But even in that, we have this this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to walk in his guidance, if we'll but listen. So I encourage you, you know, keep asking for words for your own life and for others. Keep asking, can I... Bring an encouragement to this person. Or in moments, oh God, this frightens me to death, but I feel like I have to confront this. But have the confidence to say, in the Lord, this has potential for good. But you certainly don't want them to walk in a blindness. You'd rather they see. The results are in his hands. The results are up to him. We have to take that first step, so to speak, and walk in it. Well, that's all, folks, for today. We thank you, Lord, for these Old Testament books, though written long, long ago, that still speak life to us. 
And we ask, Lord, that in this group, that your word would be honored and cherished, and that in our own lives we would respond to your voice and walk in a confidence that you desire to show compassion and you will speak to us. Amen. Obviously, there are much more more intricacies in finding the will of God, right? You, you attempt to evaluate something by the light of Scripture. You attempt to listen to His voice in prayer. But there, there are numerous things involved with it. I, but I, I want to put this out to you. It's not His desire to hide from you and to keep Himself in, in such a way as, oh, you messed up again. It's not God. And so I'd encourage you, just keep, continue to press toward him. And then declare with joy when you see he truly did guide me, even though I felt so confused in that moment. And to honor him and say, I'm so grateful for your influence and what you do this way, the way you work in my life and through me. I'd like to pray for God's blessing on you is open-ended. Um, just continue in the presence of the Lord, if you will. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy walking with you in fellowship. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom gift them with the supernatural. Be exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.